Warning, this podcast was produced by two men who still think that swearing is both big and clever. As a result, it contains quite a lot of it. Therefore, this podcast is not suitable for children, unless they're really fucking cool children. Yes, folks, it's Dave Fensom here again with another episode of Pop Collaborate and Listen. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you for all your comments on last week's Mr. Bungle episode, or sorry, last uh, fortnight's Mr. Bungle episode. A real mixed bag, that one. Um, I think some of you really enjoyed me and Krista getting into it. I sung along to a lot of that album, it turns out. We cut all of those uh, things out into a supercut, and apparently five minutes, 10% of that album. So there we go. So this week, we are here with another special episode. The reason for this episode is a long-term listener to the show, Matt. He's been uh, having a few uh, health issues, and and there really is absolutely fuck all that we've got to give. So we just kind of thought, well, what's, what's the only thing we can do, which is offer someone to choose the subject for one of our stupid podcasts, and that's exactly what we did. It is a pathetic small gesture but uh it's all we got guys so that's where we are and so he came back with a couple of choices and the one we went with was uh sugar's copper blue i think this is quite an interesting conversation me and chris have both got a little bit of history with this one uh but not as much as some of the other albums we've spoken about so this gives it this one quite a different vibe it was definitely um an album that i enjoyed spending a little bit of time with um for various reasons so uh thanks big up to matt for choosing this for us really appreciate it uh, wishing you all the best with your recovery, mate. Uh, we're all rooting for you here at Pop Collaborate and Listen. And with no further ado, I think we'll crack on with this episode. As always, hit us up on the socials, let us know what you think, and we'll catch you next time. Take it easy. people welcome to another episode of pop collaborate and listen as always my name is dave fensom and i'm here with mr krista greer well here socially distanced over zoom but hello everyone in, i mean fucking hell this is this is oh jeez, i'm swearing already swearing, mate. um literally we've had a conversation at the front of this episode going i think we're swearing too much we need to try and calm it down it's yeah. not gonna go well is it well, maybe we should have uh, linked ourselves up with electric charges on each other that if I hear you swear, I'll buzz you and vice versa. In what world do you think I would give you that power? No, true. And it would only make us swear more of whenever we get buzzed as well. So, yeah, that's a bad idea. So, yes, uh, socially distanced, all on Zoom. Mr. Waffles the dog is downstairs because he, waff- because he, he only comes upstairs when Krista comes around. Well, so. when important shit's going on, and yeah, frankly, at the minute, it's just you. Important stuff, do you important mean, Important stuff, important, yes, yeah. stuff. In things, yes, <laughs> indeed. So, anyway, welcome back. Um, yes, we are here this week with uh, another bonus episode. This is the last bonus episode we're going to do before we crack on uh, with season four proper mm-hmm. uh thank you for your patience uh we will be back in regular service soon but which album is it going to be mr krista this week we are talking about uh, sugar and their album copper blue lovely so yeah. tell me this, this album came out in 1992 it did it came out in 92 which so it fits nicely into kind of this the bonus in this season
season. Uh, it came out in September of 1992. And uh-huh. uh, if you look at the timeline, then the album that was number one that we've done uh, an episode on was Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells 2. Wow, wonderful album. Yes, indeed. So that's where uh, we are in the year with that. Uh, it came out, like, like I say, September 92. And then it was one of these ones that was really, really big. It was talked about in all the press, I guess mainly because Bob Mould was a known figure, uh, but it was all over kind of the indie press, the alternative newspapers, and so sure. it was a big deal, uh, even for a, a brand new act and a, a, an album that really came from nowhere. Uh, and in 1992, were you aware of it? Um, right, okay, so 1992, certainly 1993, I was aware of it. Now, mm-hmm. this isn't an album that I had. Yeah. Uh, it's n- never an album that I uh, kind of really owned myself, but it was a record that the guy who was a guitarist in the band that I played in at the time mm. uh, had in his car, and I was in his car a bit. Okay. So I heard this album right. in the background a few times, and my, my memory of it is that I liked it, yeah. but there was never... I never liked it enough that I was like, oh, can you do me a copy of this? And I never liked go. it right, enough sure. that I went and bought it. And to be honest with you, I remember it having uh, a lot of accolades from uh, The Enemy. Yeah. And at the time, I think having a lot of accolades from The Enemy was not a positive uh, endorsement sure, that, that to might me. put you off. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I was very much firmly on the other side of that heavy metal stroke indie divide, yeah. which seemed like a really important thing at the time, and now I'm not really sure why. I think it's because magazines like The Enemy kind of sneered at some of the stuff I liked a bit and things oh, like absolutely. that. Oh, you know? absolutely. But uh, this album, I mean, Sugar, I think, straddled the indie and kind of grunge thing, because there's elements yeah. in both, but... They weren't, as far as I know, bigged up in places like Kerrang or Metal Hammer. It was all Melly Maker Select, that side of things that were uh, bigging them up. Sure. I mean, I think they got covered, I think, because yeah. obviously Bob Mould's heritage is Huskadoo, yep. or Huskadoo, however, mm-hmm. however you want to pronounce it. Um, and obviously that's very, very influential, you know, for the hardcore scene and the post-hardcore sure, yeah. stuff that came out. and. It's interesting to me listening back to this because there's a lot of music that is clearly very influenced by this mm-hmm. that a couple of years after this I w- would put into some of my favourite records. I see, okay. But this is a record that, I, I, you know, in some ways should have been a real touchstone for some of that, but not a record that I ever went back and really explored. Right. So, yeah, I've been quite interested to go into this and listen back to it this time around. Right. I mean, we've mentioned Husker Du. Uh, yeah. Do you have any sort of relationship with them at all? Did you know them back in the day, etc., etc.? No, I've, I've got Husker Du songs that I've liked. Yeah. And now, I've come to... With Husker Du, I came to them too much after the fact where... Mm where they're a step in progression and, you know, they're step one and yeah. I got into bands at step four. So when I go back to it, it you know, I, I can appreciate that it's uh, instrumental in, in in that development, but it's not, they don't necessarily have the songs that I particularly love. I'm, I'm not, no. I, I appreciate Huskadoo, but mm. I'm not an enormous Huskadoo, Huskadoo fan. Fine. Well, I mean, they were definitely a little bit early for both of us. They they broke up sure. in like 87, 88, and they've been going yeah. since 79. But even once I was aware of who they were, and even after listening to Sugar, I had no mm-hmm. real 
desire to go back and try and find out more at that point you know, mm-hmm. A, because it's not easy in 1993 or 4 going, all right, let's buy all the Husker Du albums and see if they're any good. Um, I yeah. didn't have anyone else who was a fan that I could blag one off. And mm-hmm. the stuff, the, the way they were talked about that they were these punk legends and they were on the hardcore scene, I didn't like either of those scenes. So I was like, can't be bothered. Not for me. I'm going to ignore that. I did, and you know, I mean, you know, my gateway into a lot of that stuff was more down the route of Fugazi, mm-hmm. um, and then you know, coming down later, the stuff that was on Revelation Records, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, I mean, most notably Quicksand were the the big band for me. Quicksand yeah. put their record out in uh, first part of 93 uh, and you know the, the other bands you know kind of you know Texas is the reason sense field a lot of that stuff that became the core of what would really clunkily not be known as emotional hardcore yes and then emo core and then which by the time you get to the early 2000s has been the base route of emo which yeah was fucking well, exactly. shit. That, that, that's, um, a, that's, a, that's a real kind of thin end of a strand that you've just got to, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. you know. And it, but you know, there's threads of all of that, and there's threads of that that exist through this record. All oh, right. Yeah. Uh, and and you know, it's obviously, you know, we're in 1992. You're. I think there's the stuff I've had to kind of reference in my own mind mm. when listening to this record to try and get my head around where we are in certain chronologies, you know? Okay, yeah. In terms of, obviously, you know, we're 1992. I think Green Day have released uh, two records at uh, this point. They, uh, they've definitely released that first EP. I don't know if they've done a, an actual full album at this point. No, they. I think they. I think they have. They've got, they, yeah. they've got, I think they've got two records pre-Dookie, and Dookie's 93, isn't right. it? Uh, Dookie was 94, I think. Oh, was it but really? It was, okay, was maybe, maybe it was. Right. But no, they've definitely... Um, we've covered them in the 1992 rundowns at some point because this yeah. was their first uh, thing that we've seen. But I, I'm not sure if it was a mini album or something like that. Sure, but I think the main... My takeaway from that is we are pre-pop punk explosion. Yes, yes, I would, I would agree with that. I mean, obviously, you know, pop punk existed in the seventies and eighties. Oh God, yeah. uh, to to a degree, uh, but we're you know that kind of SoCal pop punk and ska punk. We're still a still a little way away from that when this record comes out. Well, we're I think still, that yeah, we're still a, a way away from it being the the mainstream surge that it got to with the Green Day stuff and Offspring, yeah. etc. The, the the time sure. it got into charts, there, there would have been stuff bubbling under, of course, but no, Always. it was it was nowhere near the top of the pile at that point so yeah i mean these are just some of the things that i've kind of okay. tried to think about and reference myself beforehand but yeah okay. so this album did you and you you had it how much were you into it i'm trying to remember back right now i'm not 100 sure because the first single off it was changes um mm-hmm. and i can't remember if i heard that straight away i suspect i probably did because in my head i remember having it at one point and I, I looked and i don't anymore the second single was a good idea, and I really remember that because that was kind of the indie dance floor hit, and so I remember that strongly. And I think probably at that point I got a copy of somebody, uh, sure. and would have had the whole album at that point. I never really dug too deep into it. I never played it over and over and over in a, in a way that I did with the other albums of that period. And so going yeah. back to it now, I was 
finding stuff that I didn't even remember or remembered very vaguely. Um, I, I remember liking the band and whenever we talked about our best of 92, I had this in my long list because I remembered really liking it, but yeah. I didn't go back and revisit it for that because it wasn't in my short list. And so doing this, I'm, I'm like, okay, I maybe don't remember this as accurately as I thought I might have done. Yeah, I mean, I had a kind of similar experience as well. I, you know, you mentioned uh, the big indie disco hit, and I, you know, mm-hmm. obviously I was all over uh, indie clubs at this time, and I don't remember any of these songs, right, be, being played. I mean, it's sort of, it might be the sort of thing that it was big in the club that I went to because it's such a. Mm. A, a lottery sometimes whether you know a song because the dj in that club was a big fan well that's it you know i mean you know the 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 one i mean it's it's kind of a slightly different thing now because they've become ubiquitous but for a while you know the fact that loads of people in our town liked tool mm. was because nick the dj got into tool and put prison sex and sober on heavy rotation right and that kind of turned everyone on to that you know right sure whereas you'd go to another town and people wouldn't have a clue you know i remember moving to dudley and asking for tool and the dj going oh it's a bit dark for a, for this kind of <laughs> night in it i was like yeah. was it and, and then he played the fucking little angels or something <laughs> spoilers anyway um sure okay I suspect I definitely have more of a relationship with this than you because I did have it, you know, a copy of it and I listened to it and I, I'm probably more primed to have liked this in 92 than you were. Yeah, but, you know, if you look at the heritage of this band and you look at the things that I was listening to, you would say, oh, you're, you're pretty cl- keyed up to have liked this band. Right, I guess in my head it was just always more of an indie album than anything else. And so mm. I have it in that box. As we always do, let's begin. I, I say begin. We've just fucking talked about it for 20 minutes. <laughs> right. but, uh, let's, let's, let's look at the album cover. Now, sure. I don't know what it is. And my, yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if I'm missing something here. All I see is a bit of abstract colour work. Is there... Yeah, I don't know. And I tried to find out what it is. I, you know, I tried to Google what is mm. the copper blue artwork because I'd never thought of it before. Um, I would recognise it if you'd put it in front of me without the the name of the band or the album on it. I would have gone, oh yeah, that's yeah. copper blue. But I don't know what it actually is an image of. I mean, there's some copper and there's some blue. Yeah. Uh, is it metallic? Is it, uh, you know, molten metal? Is it water? I don't know. Is it Lars Ulrich Spunk again? Oh, mate. Well, that's a default, really, isn't it? You know, it could be. Who knows? But yes, uh, um, it's fine. It's it's, nice. that's, uh, that's, it's all right. It looks like a piece of artwork you might find in a chain hotel. With some really basic uh, font on top of it. You know, they have not spent any money on uh, getting a designer in to make the, the writing interesting. They've literally just put it into Microsoft Paint and gone, well, what's a font that's easy to read? That'll do nicely. It looks like an early 90s indie album cover. That is true. It looks like it could be somebody from Ride, you know? One of those yeah. ones. Could be a Jesus Lizard cover. Could yeah, be. There yeah. you are. There you are. Okay, well, let's crack into it then, young man. Right. Uh, first track is called uh, The Act We Act. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've got mm. a big, big, crunchy riff. Yeah. Nice tone to it. Yes, it's building. Big, big guitar. Oh, we're still building. A bit of power. Yeah. No, nice. Open. Oh, there we go. There's the there's the lick. Yeah. Oh, 
I mean, we are immediately introduced to how this album is going to sound. That yes. big wash of guitar. Mm-hmm. Bob Mould's very nasal, high-pitched voice. Yeah, uh, and, I, and I, I've got no problem with his voice. I don't think it's doing anything particularly interesting here. Um, no. But, you know, again, you know, my first note here is it sounds like pop punk for grown-ups. Oh, right. It's so, got that... Hmm. Bum, 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 bum. It's got that kind of driving bass line, and then we're going going up into the chorus. Mm-hmm. We've got some nice discordant sounds, but it's a very poppy sensibility you're finding. Obviously, quite earnest lyrically. Oh yeah, well that, that is what he does, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I mean it's yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, earnest saves Christmas. <laughs> yeah, no, what you said about his voice—he's not doing anything particularly interesting, but. I don't think, I don't think that's his uh, his desire is to do that. He is very kind of meat and potatoes, isn't he? Well, he is, but I, well, you say that. I, I actually think, and we'll get into this as some of the songs goes on. Mm. But I think the the songwriting is at its best when his voice is is holding the melody. You know, I think he, okay. I think I think he writes some very very good vocal melodies, very very memorable poppy uh, melodies that still maintain uh, like a a really kind of I don't know like a kind of indie rock credibility to them right um, I don't think this is a good example of it I think this song is mm. absolutely fine it's decent I like the guitar tones I like the the noises yeah but I don't think there's much of a song I would agree there I mean my note is that it's more of a feel uh, it is yeah. an intro to here's sugar uh, not necessarily here's a brilliant song but it's like here's us this is what we do um, it, it, there's a it drives it along and the drums and the bass they kind of have a throb to it that keep it just pounding along um, but it is more of a wash for me than a real punchy tune it's a bit dirty but it's, it's, I think it's dead nice what I will say is I on about the fourth or fifth listen through this album, mm-hmm. I like this song a lot more than I did. And this guitar that's in now, this oh, this solo, soloing yeah. guitar, th- some really nice work on this. Interesting stuff. I think. Yeah. I, I I do think there's some really really nice guitar tones that you know I could I could really see enjoying in a sweaty little club. Sure. Yeah. No. I think that the, the the guitar solo and like you say the sound that he gets out of his guitar throughout this album is very sweet it's really nice yeah yeah um, lyrically like you say it's pretty earnest I'm not 100% sure exactly what it's about it might be kind of the final uh, throes of a relationship where yeah when you're papering over cracks and pretending that everything might work out but you know it's not that sort of thing the act we act sort of thing but sure I'm not I'm not 100% Quite possibly, I you know there are there are songs on this album with some really standout lyrics to me that I really like. Right. The, this one kind of and and the theme of that is there's there's something in the hook that makes me investigate the lyrics. This right, song I, I wasn't driven to. I was right. like, okay, this is fine. This meanders along. It sets some musical tone, um, and therefore I wouldn't say it's a terrible opener, but in terms of uh, standing at a listening post here in a record, yeah. in a week, you know, in a week where we know these records are coming out every week, mm-hmm. and you've got choice after choice, if I was there and it was this or 
another album, I'd have probably gone with the other album. Tubular Bells 2, obviously, yeah, of course. Tubular Bells 2, of course. <laughs> Why wouldn't you go with that? Yeah. No, I, I agree. It, it doesn't smack you in the face, but it sets its stall out. But as I say, my reaction to this song from Listen 1 to Listen 5 yeah. was... You know, I, I liked it more every time I it's heard it. So fair enough. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. Cool. So yeah, that's number one, and then track two is a good idea, which was the second single released, but it was the first single sure. that actually charted for the band, uh, and was the big indie dance floor hit. Well, it was in my time anyway. Like I said. And as everyone said at the time. Well, this is just Debaser. Yeah, sounds yeah. exactly like the... Yeah, my, my main note is, sounds like the Pixies. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And I've read interviews with uh, Bob Mould. Some say, sometimes he says, oh, it was a subconscious homage. Uh, but sometimes he's saying, well, uh, you know, we used to have the, the Pixies would support us and Husker Du, and then when I went solo, I supported the Pixies, and this is it all coming round again he's almost yep. deliberately doing it either way it is an absolute rip-off of the bass line but yeah it, it's still a good tune in its own right as well i think yeah i think so i mean you know i've i've got very few notes on this one really mm-hmm. kind of uh I, I really like that kind of that good idea hook you yeah, know, yeah that's a good idea yeah. that's very satisfying that that's immediately in my head that's in my head for the next days it does gotcha what it does what what you want it to do you what, what an in a good indie pop hit should do yep um and there's that really lovely kind of stop starty bit uh, about a, 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 a yeah. two-thirds of the way through. that was always yeah. great fun on the dance floor because obviously when you know it and you know what's happening everyone is in in sync and they're like dun 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 it's brilliant yeah but yeah, that works excellent. really well again I like this one I'm almost surprised it was the single because mm-hmm. this doesn't give me like the kind of the hairs on the back of it it doesn't give me the kind of the instantly I've got to hear this again kind of single vibes that I would expect to okay I, yeah. I'd expect to have from an album as loved as this is um Again, it's it's a decent song for me. And when I hear this, I'm like, I think I can see why I wasn't inspired to be, oh, I have to have this album. Okay, yeah. So I'm like, okay, maybe maybe I made the right choice at the time is where I'm thinking with this first couple of tracks. Oh, right. See, I, I'm really into this one. And part of that is going to be because I was such a big fan of this one at the time and I have such fond memories of it, etc. But uh, I get a lot out of this one. I mean, I've got no nostalgia for it, so yeah, which sure. is, a, is a thing. One thing I do agree with you is that it's a strange one to be a single because of the lyrical content, because it's a song about drowning a woman in a river, which is not the sort of thing that's going to get any radio airplay, but maybe that's not what they were going for. I mean, not in 2021, it's not. Fuck well, me. Saying, Jesus Christ, yeah. I mean, it was quite popular in the, in the mid-90s. <laughs> ah, hobbies. Uh, what was that... Um, Richard Marks song about a woman killing up. Did he kill a woman or did he just know a woman who died? Hazard, wasn't it? Hazard, yeah. Hazard. Yeah, that was about dead women as well. Yeah, very popular. Yeah, there's a lot of that. I mean, to be fair, Nick Cave had a pretty successful album. Oh, that's a, a career, yeah. some might say. <laughs> um, the other thing about this, and even though it was a single, I had a look to see what the video was like because I couldn't remember the video. And I can't find a video for it. I don't think they made a video for this, even though it was a single. So I wonder if it's the sort of thing where 
Creation Records, who released it in the UK, decided yeah. that they were going to release that as a single. But Raikou Disc, who were the American ones, went, well, you do what you want, but we're not funding anything. I wonder if yeah, it's something possible. like that. Entirely possible. Alan McGee, he might, you know, see a, a song like A Good Idea and go, well, this is indie. This is a classic indie song. This is the sort of thing that Enemy will write about and yeah. go, well, this is for my market. So perhaps it was it was because of that. Uh, it only got the number 65 as well. So it was a single and it did get played in my indie club and I played it on my little radio show that we had in Belfast in, at that time. But I, maybe it just didn't do anything else. I bet it was, you know, huge on the evening session with Lamack and Wiley. Sure. And no one else gave a shit. Yeah, well, that, that sounds about right. There'd have, yeah. there'd have probably been a table of annoying twats singing it at the cock <laughs> in Luton. Um, right, that's not swearing, by the way. That's the name of a pub. So uh, Indeed. Yeah, doing all right. Okay, well, let's go to track three then, which yeah. is called Changes. This is also a single, right? It was the very first single, and uh, it didn't even chart over here at all. Um, but it was the first taster of the album released to the public. So, yeah, it was the first one. Okay, so this is immediately much brighter, isn't it? That's definitely the word. It's bright and shinier. Yeah, this is yeah, uh, bright, kind of crunchy. Yeah, he, he's been he's been uh, he's been wronged in love. Uh huh. My path with this song has been this is fine. It sounds like a lot of other songs to me. Um, yeah. On, on reflection, I don't think this is anything brilliant. I think it's no. perfectly nice. I mean, I'll, I'll caveat that though and say I don't. I, I, de- I liked it, didn't love it, yeah. and then it kind of gets to the guitar solo and breakdown, mm-hmm. like towards the back end of the song. And I think all of that is really lovely. Okay, right. I mean, this is a five-minute-long song as well. Yeah, and I, I don't. I, it's kind of a song of two parts for me. I think. I see. I, I think I'd have I'd have had a, a shorter song and got to the good bit quicker. Fair enough. Okay. Um, uh, which is which is a strange uh, which is a strange comment from a man who spent all last week defending that Mr Bungle record. <laughs> yeah, but, quite uh, ten yeah. minute long songs. Um, it sounds just a little bit twee to me, and I'm a man who can deal with a twee indie song, but uh, this doesn't have enough of a really catchy hook for me to to get away with the rest of it. Yeah, uh, too too much pop, not enough power. In Maybe this so. One, if, Maybe you know so. What I mean? Yeah. Um, I would skip this, I reckon, next time if I if was putting it on. I would uh, go, yeah, whatever. Sure. I mean, I, I must admit, I'm at this point, three tracks in, I'm going, ah, oh, this is okay. This is, I, I guess, right. you know, like I say, I'm saying, oh, maybe, maybe either I missed the moment for it yeah. or I didn't miss that much. That's kind of where yeah. I'm at at the minute with it. Fine. Which is disappointing for me. That's not where I wanted to be with it. This, you know, got album of the year in some of the music press, even though Mm -hmm. it wasn't ones that you liked or would have read at the time. And so, fair enough, you're not hearing why that is at this point. That's right, you know. I'll see what I mind. We'll see where we go. Um, Right, right. One thing we do have in this song is that at the end of it, like you say, there's lots of different stuff going on. It goes into a sort of a... Not a feedback-y breakdown, but it goes into a bit of sonic bizarreness which yeah. leads into the next track because one thing that I do remember about Sugar is whenever I saw them live in 1993 I saw them in Dublin um, yep. on a, on a one day festival headlined by Faith No More with okay. uh, Sonic Youth Belly and the Disposable Heroes of Apocracy playing as well 
And That's a very 1992 uh, lineup. That was brilliant. That was absolutely fantastic. And two things I remember about Sugar's set. Uh, one, that it was really loud. You know, they they turned everything up to 50 and didn't give a shit. And they just bam, bam, pound you with it. But also, they didn't break between songs at all. They yeah. did that thing that some bands do, and I'm not a big fan of, where they go, you know, dun, 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 a boom, 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 straight into the next one. Yeah. Um, uh, I, literally, I like a bit of banter. I do. I, I'm a big fan of, thanks for coming along, hope you like this one, here's such and such. I think some bands go too far with it, the Foo mm-hmm. Fighters, but... <laughs> uh, whenever, every time I've seen the Pixies, it's been like that. It's like nothing. You know, Black mm-hmm. Francis doesn't speak to the crowd at all. And I remember that with Sugar, that Bob Mould, he, he, you know, he didn't even look up, really. Um, he just got on with shit and played it. But that's uh, sometimes in the album, you can hear that that's what they're doing. They're just going straight from one to the other. There's not a pause between. It's just... Uh, Noise, 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 and then new song. And this I is what happens the music with this speak one. for itself, man. They certainly do. They certainly do. But yeah, the, the, the track four, it just it follows directly on from the end of, of track three. Sure. Uh, track four is Helpless, which was it was a single, but only in uh, the US and Australia. Uh, it Fair wasn't enough. a single in the UK. And now straight away, mm-hmm. that's. The best riff it's I've fucking heard of brilliant. this album so far. Absolutely brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. Really fucking big, lovely riff. Yeah, and instant. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, that's the one I will go away remembering after this is finished, I'm sure. And, he- and here we go. This is, look, you've got that riff, but you've got this vocal melody. Yep. This holding the song together. Yep. It just fucking stands out immediately from everything else we've heard. Totally. Um, and, you know, obviously... We're into some pretty, you know, kind of pretty uh, verse, chorus, verse, chorus songwriting here. You know, that's, you know, it's very straight ahead in that regard. Mm-hmm. But there's a fucking light, lightness attached to this song that just makes it feel. This very much feels like that kind of. I was talking about that proto emotional hardcore. Okay, sure, yeah. That sound. This sounds like the roots of stuff that I would spend an awful lot of the 90s fucking just bumming to death right yeah now this is a, an absolute bolt from the blue for me this is a break in the cloud that yeah. shines down on me I think this is gorgeous yes yeah. same as that straight away I'm like oh hang on a minute I'm right. immediately interested in this record again the ascending guitar line intro doom 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 along with Bob Mull doing a kind of descending vocal yeah. and then this bit I mean, we've, we've gone almost five verses before we get to this chorus bit this uh, that holds it like you say it goes over the top of it with the guitar playing underneath beautifully done yeah. uh, I think this is just a perfect song yeah brilliant this, this song's like immediately going on a couple of different playlists yeah 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 straight up love this song you can hear a minute uh, this in his singing as well there's a catharsis there's I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. like it's melancholy and it's plaintive but it's also cathartic and a shout to the to the gods he's really going for it uh, and I'm absolutely gutted that this one's only three minutes long yeah same you know, as that this but is I, over like that for me but it's part of why it's so good it's oh, like it's yeah. Brilliant, yeah. yeah yeah brilliant I really love this one I'm, and, I'm glad I'm glad we synced up on that mm, this is the one that they played on the No Nirvana episode as well the, that ah. late show special 
And I remember watching that, and I loved their performance of it, but if you watch it, you'll see just how fucking bog-standard a playing band they are. They stand, he sings, he plays his guitar, the drummer doesn't look up. The drummer has his head down, <laughs> and it's just... It, it, you know, a lot of drummers, you know, uh, they'll play, there's a bit of uh, fluidity in the wrist, there's some funk going on. This bloke, not a chance. It is straight arms. That's all he's doing. He's, you know, he will not lose a beat, but he's not doing anything flourishy at all. It's very, it's funny to watch, but it's perfect. It works perfectly for this song. It's that Steve Albini mindset. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. I did watch the video for this because this, like I say, this was a video in the US. So Raiko Disc went, all right, we better do something. And it is dreadful. It is basically the three members of the band holding umbrellas and playing uh, with water pistols on a roof. It's fucking dreadful. A lot of these bands that we were into in the early 90s just Mm. didn't have videos, did they? And Mm -hmm. the ones that they did have were put together on fucking no money whatsoever. Yeah, but you know that it is just, it's the marketing director's got hold of a video camera and gone, look, we have to do this. We have to have something for MTV too. And the band do not look happy that they're having to do this. They look awkward as all hell. And I reckon they were very glad when it was over. It's just like, you know, got a Murray in Flight of the Concords with his mobile phone. (laughs) Yeah, honestly. It's a camera camera phone? (laughs) Yeah, if it costs more than a tenner in 1992, I'll be absolutely stunned. Fair dues, man. But no, this is absolutely brilliant this song yeah I would say you know this best so far easy yeah this would have been worth the price of your CD yeah fair play fair play good I'm really glad you like that one well let's go into the next one this one's called Hoover Dam oh right a little bit of uh, carnival noises borrowed from Mr Bungle sounds a bit funereal to me oh yeah yeah some backward sound effects straight out of uh, a Beatles album It's a different sort of intro. But then, here we go. Yeah. Okay, there's another big vocal hook. This one... Yeah. This one's got more than a little bit of REM in it, I think. Yeah, I think that's entirely fair. I think that's definitely got a... Um, now, the weird thing here, right? Mm-hmm. We've got this... Um, Where is it? Because I, I, I love this. I think this is a fucking... Like a, a, a big kind of monstrous kind of pop song. Like sing along this one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The co- that chorus is really strong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And but then it's got the kind of this weird, kind of almost like Gary Newman esque that lit- keyboard thing going on. Yeah, it's like kind of synth folk. Kind yeah. Of. There is a, there's a bit in there that that sort of do 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 yeah. yeah that weird keyboard thing. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, this is but the, the again, this is one of those songs where I'm like, oh, what's this about? Let me. Go back in there, and it's it's they're really evocative lyrics, man. It's like because you know obviously mm-hmm. you used to be at a dry. I mean, I've been on the Hoover Dam, uh, went oh, to the Hoover Dam in the, and obviously this what what this song's about is he's standing on the top of the Hoover Dam, which is a fucking great big drop off. Sure, thinking about killing himself. Yeah, but I I was gonna, I wondered which way he was looking at it from because you could you could take it from the point of view where he is standing there. I'm going, alright, there's the abyss. Yeah. I, I I want to fall into that and not have to think about anything. I'm overwhelmed already and I just want to let go. Or is it um 
about the power to then resist that urge and is it an uplifting thing because he doesn't in the end and he while considering it he goes no it's still worth it to me i mean i'm not even sure i i, I don't think I, I i kind of tried to find uh, a, a kind of a good or bad in it i i just i just thought it was more of a kind of a a description of what that experience might be rather okay, than trying right. to find a like a message in it particularly i just really like a lyric that was like the center line right between two states of mind mm-hmm. i just i really really like that lyric that kind yeah. of thing of being between the, the two states of mind being live or die you know the okay right. the next thing i do affects everything what you know it just made me think a lot about that situation and how yeah. i would feel stood there and the kind of the process to get there and yeah. the aftermath and yeah i, I just think this nice. is a re- i think it's a brilliant song again i think i, I um, really perfectly crafted. Um, just You're even really okay with lovely... the those kind of harpsichordy synth sounds? Yeah, I, I think they yeah. work in context. Yeah, yeah. I think they, they, I'm, they. I think first listen, they're like, oh, that's a bit jarring. Sure. But then once you kind of got the rhythm of the song and you've heard it a couple of times, you're like, oh no, that that works in it, and it should it should have some juxtaposition in this song because it's a song about a duality of a mind state, and it's a song mm. about. Okay. different conclusions so you feels like thematically you it shouldn't just be entirely smooth and poppy all the way through it should fair play all right jar out. but yeah I, I i think this is another very very good song right i uh, i do i think it's great really, i don't remember being a big fan of this at the time i think i sort of dismissed it as a bit too fluffy again not much yeah. uh there wasn't enough grit for me, but going back and listening now, I think it's really nice. I think it's a love. I think it's a really sweet sounding song, uh, and I and I really like that juxtaposition of yeah. actually how earthy and gritty those lyrics are. Yeah, yeah. You and, know, with this, and I'll be honest because as I've said often on this show, and as you know very well, I am not a lyrics person, and I don't necessarily sure. check out uh, lyrics, especially on ones that aren't a single that I'm singing along to lots and yeah. lots and lots i don't dig in uh, and, and do some research very often and i didn't on a lot of the songs on here and so i was surprised to find how much some of them were really dark and a, a little bit horrible and yeah. so personal and that sort of thing uh, which was really interesting for me to find out but i hadn't worked that out until you know two weeks ago yeah absolutely and mm. you know again i mean had i dug into this at the, i i See, the thing is, like, like the, the idea of suicide mm-hmm. at 17 and 18 versus what the idea of suicide is in your mid-40s, I think... Mm-hmm. The, yeah, it, I think it's a lot... Of, two different stories. I, I, yeah, very much so, you know. I think, you know, you're, you're... Obviously, there's a lot of people that, you know, do commit suicide, uh, you know, at a te- you know in, in their teenage years. And I'm mm-hmm. not trying to... Say, oh, you know, you, you can't understand it. I'm not trying to be that kind of guy, but no, 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 your, of perce- your perception of those things and what that story is and what the aftermath of that is mm. changes as you're forced to confront it a bit more as an adult because you, you know, you come close to it or you you're around it or you 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 deal with the aftermath of it. Um, sure, and I don't know uh, what Bob Mould's uh, kind of personal connection is with any of that. I don't know what his uh, backstory is really, apart from. I read that um, that book. Our band could be your life. That yep. one that is all about those the bands from the the kind of sure. the eighties indie punk bands. But to be honest, and it's not just Bob Mould. 
he comes across as an absolute twat in that book as do <laughs> as do the the people in so many of the bands that are featured uh jay mascus from dinosaur jr twat uh henry rollins comes off as a dickhead uh, it's, it's just a, a sort of a series of arrogant young fucking bucks thinking yeah. they'd rule the world and being absolutely uh twatty to other people anyway i don't know any more of bob mold than what i read in that and so i don't know what his his, his kind of personal life at this point was all like. Sure. I can only imagine from listening to some of these songs that there was turbulence going on, you know, a lot of stuff about relationships ending. Um, you know, this one is ostensibly about a, a, a choice, a suicide choice. There's a lot of stuff going on. You don't get to be this serious and earnest unless you've got some, you know, you, do you know what I mean? You're, yeah. you, you know, this isn't M people. No, no, it really is not. <laughs> Which bizarrely, though, of the two bands, M People is far more likely to make me suicidal. <laughs> uh, anyway. tell you, just in terms of a kind of emotional heft, there was a song on. There was an album released, in, I think, nineteen ninety three, and it was called New Alternative, and it was released by the Red Hot and Blue People. Do you remember that coming yeah. out? Yeah, Loads yeah, of different. I, I, uh, it had, for example, it had an unreleased Nirvana song on there, "Sappy," which mm-hmm. is brilliant. It had uh, a Smashing Pumpkins song on there. I think Glynis was on there, which is gorgeous. All kind of exclusive songs for that. And Bob Mould uh, gave them one called "Can't Fight It," which is him solo, but you know, with with backing as well. It's not a Sugar song, but it is beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous, and it is about the end of a relationship. And how painful it is, but he can't fight it, and so there's nothing he can do, and he just has to let it happen. But he's broken about it. So this time, this period in his life, does seem to be a lot of stuff going on. Fair enough. Yeah. Oh well, I'm, right. I'm glad you like that one as well, because I ended up liking it more than I remember from before. Yeah. No, I've, I've, I've very, very, very much liked it, mate. Very much liked it. Wicked. Cool. Right. So that's five of the ten songs. Halfway yes. through this one. And I know that you put a little tweet out going, uh, what does anyone else think of this band, uh, or this album rather? What did we have back on that one? Well, we had a few uh, responses. Um, yeah, so first of all, shout out to uh, Indie Over 40 who retweeted us and uh, any of their uh, their followers that are listening to us. Yeah, that was really cool. Thank, thanks, thanks to that guy for doing that and uh, welcome everyone. Yeah, welcome along. Um, so yeah, what do we, we get here? Uh, uh, Long time listener, uh, Phil Guffrey, uh, love the singles, never bothered with the album, will probably be inspired to have a listen to the back of this episode. I reckon uh, so. You know, Phil was uh, at school with me and he would have been in the same clubs as I was going to. So, yeah. you know, we would have had the same exposure to, to the singles. He put there as well, sorry, this doesn't provide any content for you. Fuck you, it does. Yeah, 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 true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we've got any kind of quality control here, mate. Yeah. Um, uh, Mike Collins, uh, big up Mike. Uh, flawless record. That voice, that guitar sound, and those songs, perfection. Fair play. Uh, All right. Fair yeah. enough, He's mate. a big, fair big enough. fan. Uh, Barbecue Bob's, uh, a pure power pop album, Sonic Blast. Perhaps the last great heavy album before the Britpop tape code. Oh, there's a bold statement. That is a bold statement. One that I would disagree with, but mm. in the last couple of songs, very much enjoying. Yep. Um, Kenny McLeod, that's still honest. A great album, a great gig, but I am convinced it is the cause of my tinnitus. Which ah, is, uh, right. Well, he had the same, what you're saying. same experience. I wonder where he saw that. Because if he saw them in a club... 
I I absolutely pity his ears. I saw them in a field and I remember him being really loud. But, it, you know, at especially the sort of level clubs they must have been playing then. They weren't doing Brixton. You know, they, they were sure. probably playing, not, maybe not the 100 club, but God damn, that would have been an experience. Well, I'll tell you, man, my uh, my tinnitus is out of control these days. It's oh. bad now. Yeah, I've, I'm going to have to start wearing earplugs to gigs and stuff like that, which oh, I should have done years no. ago, and then I wouldn't oh, have yeah. this fucking tinnitus. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Corky Fella, Mr. Corcoran, 1992 Album of the Year in Enemy, for what it's worth, beating Automatic for the People. Yeah. Flawless. There you go. Um, yeah, I mean, so far, I'm not going to put this above Automatic for the People for me. So far, uh, okay. But yeah. how can you do it? I mean, the thing is, you, you can't do that. You can't listen to an album almost new and put it against them you've got 20 years nah, for sure. with for sure so you know fair enough but you know as I've heard so far I am wishing maybe I'd listen to it more a, a bit more at least okay back in the day nice one alright Stephen Hill from uh, Riot Act uh, podcast ah. on Copper Blue. That's a good idea, he said. Oh. I had a little look, and I think those guys have got one. I, I think going back to their Riot Act episode 118, they were talking a bit about Copper Blue here, I'd say. Uh, go oh, and yeah. check out the Riot Act podcast. Excellent. Obviously, I, I haven't listened to that one yet. I will do that this evening, actually. Give those guys uh, a big up there. I think that's everything that we got. But um, okay, cool. thank you as always for everyone for for writing in. Um, you know, as always, you know, if, you, if this inspires any more thoughts, let us know. Anyway, right. So right, that's let's leave that. Obviously, because it's a special episode, we've got no singles or albums to talk Indeed, about. Indeed, you know, we're straight into part two of the track album. Number six. Right. Yeah, so this is track track number six, second half, mm-hmm. uh, and this one is called the Slim. Oh, that's a nice slinky riff. It's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Again, dark and brooding, rather than some of the shinier stuff we've seen. And I and I like them. I think best in this mode so far. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is this is lovely. It sounds really nice. It, I mean, it sounds it's warm, but it does sound hard and nasty as well. Yeah. yeah. And those drums are. Yeah. Nice and big, little keyboard in there as well. Yeah, and it's it's this vocal melody that's driving it again. Yes, yes, it is. It's absolutely uh, you know bullying it along. It's a constant, constant. Um, uh, this uh, this does very much sound like tonally. It feels very much like almost like a missing link between like alternative rock, that kind of big. Pearl Jammy alternative rock that's starting to take yeah. over MTV, and you know, and a more straightforward, down-to-earth punk rock sound. Okay, I mean, see, I, I honestly don't hear a lot of punk rock in this this album. Oh, um, I hear loads of punk rock in this album. One thing I do hear, and I hear it in this, is I hear quite a bit of shoegazy stuff, stuff like okay. Ride, Swerve Driver, just because there's this big expansive guitar underneath a lot of stuff well i think what's interesting as well is you know if you if you if you look at shoegaze and then yeah. you look at like, in, like a lot of instrumental post hardcore there's a lot of crossover sure okay there yep. you know you can't you know if you, if you look at you know slow dive and slint and you look at mm. you know and you look at mogwai for example it's not maybe not the best example but you know there's there's you know you do, there's enough things that you can draw comparisons oh definitely so, Definitely. And obviously, you know this. This is this is Bob Mould's post-hardcore album. Yes, you know. So yes, it is. Um, for me, you know, I, I love this. I mean, I, I've written "swimmy guitar" actually, mm, okay, which is nice. yeah. 
you know, which is a very shoegazy kind of thing. <laughs> yes, it is. I think the most the thing for me is in like Bob Mould sounds like a fucking grown up. Right. Like there's an authority in his voice, uh, and I'm finding as this is going, it's getting more compelling as each song goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I mean, obviously, I, I, I've done a little bit of reading around the lyrics this one, and this, this yeah, one yeah, yeah. Is, it's written from the perspective of someone that's lost someone to HIV. Absolutely. I'm not sure if I'd have pulled that out on my own without having read that, but once you do, and you go, oh yeah, of course, this all kind of It links to that. Sense. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm the same. Like I just said, you know, I don't do lyrics very well, and so I would be more in just the sound of this at the time. Yeah. Reading lyrics and reading the backstory, uh, the slim, as this is called, was slang term before AIDS was even a, a, a term. It was called the slim. And this is about losing a partner to the disease. And he is fucking furious on this song. This yeah, is anger and pain. It's relentless. It doesn't stop. You know, the way he's singing is dun 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 dun, just pushing dun 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 dun. And by the the time that he gets to like verse three on this, you can almost hear him be out of breath because he is yeah. putting so much into it. I think it's an incredible vocal performance on this song. Yeah, this is this is a. I mean, look, this is another brilliant song. Right? I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna you know I'll go out on a limb and say it. Yeah. Like you you this is as good like a a, a a run of three songs as you're gonna find on any record. Okay, nice. Yeah, lovely. From being pretty nonplussed by the first three songs mm-hmm. it, it, it hasn't just gone a oh, gradual increment it's gone from eh, to fucking hell these are right. excellent these are excellent songs i think oh this i think this is wonderful this one this uh because i didn't know that much about it i enjoyed it 20 years ago, or 30 years ago rather i now think this is just fantastic um yeah because I understand why he's so angry in, on this one. There's a, a, a line, um, I wrote, well, a line, is a few lines. Um, I, with your breath on my pillow, and I with the memory, I get to wait it out, never put it away. When you left with your death, I felt empty when I looked back. On my pillow, what you used to say, I'm left behind. You know, there is just bereftness. There, there's the anger that it happened, and there's the chasm within of what you're left with afterwards. It's got that kind of, it's got that little hook into me at the minute, where I'm like, I'm listening to that again now, and I'm like, yeah, I kind of want to listen to that again. I, I did know that I'm going to listen. <laughs> yeah. I know I'm going to listen to this song a lot of times over the next few weeks. Lovely. And I'm gonna, and I'm, and it's gonna become, and I, I think this will probably go from a song that I really like and appreciate to being a song that I really fucking love. Yeah, you know, like the, the fine. I, I don't know. You can, you can never predict these things, but it's wonder- got that itch of it at the moment I, and I've, I feel like it's nice you know it's gonna find its way into the pantheon you know it's only just kind of occurred to me but this reminds me of a couple of the songs on that cure album that you ended up loving yeah um, again probably just love. because of the because of the the massive guitar and the the dark and somber mood on it it sort of reminds me a little bit of that yeah, man, I'm a sucker for that shit. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I'm, yeah. you know, give, give me, give me some, give me some dark imagery. Give me a fucking wall of noise yeah. and an impassioned man telling me about his feelings. And oh, <laughs> you're in. Yeah, mate, just slide yeah. it up me. It's a fine. little bit of a stiffy. Yeah. One thing I did read uh, about kind of the making of this album um, was that right. So 
Husker Du, Husker Du rather, they broke up in either 87 or 88, I can't remember. Bob Mould then did two solo albums, um, which did not do very well. Uh, And the second one, apparently, um, in the liner notes for the reissue on Sugar's Copper Blue, Alan McGee of Creation Records, when he was writing the story, he said, oh yeah, that second album, uh, the second solo album Bob Mould did, that sold 6,000 copies. Right? So... He was not doing well. He was not uh, finding any mojo or whatever. Um, but then he came over to the UK and was uh, doing some shows for Alan McGee with a, a kind of a, a, a view to getting signed for Sugar. And one of the people at Creation was driving him home from a gig and he said, oh, listen to this band that we've got and put on My Bloody Valentine's Loveless. Yeah. And apparently, and Bob Mould has said in a couple of different interviews, said floored me I couldn't believe what I was hearing it changed what I wanted to do and what I thought you could do Mm -hmm. Uh, and with songs like this with the the Slim I can see that influence it is that blanket wall of noise uh, turn everything up be dark and horrifying and intimidating and all that sort of stuff and I understand maybe the demos that he did might not have sounded like this but once he was in that frame of mind and knew then what he wanted to do, that's the the, the switch that got flipped. And I can see that. I really can. I love that man. And and mm. there's you know still people out there fucking pushing that that thing today in all kinds of genres. Like, like have you ever seen Dragged into Sunlight? What's that one? Basically, kind of black metal noise band. Oh, I say no, no. And they're just and they're just fucking relentless and it's yeah. just visceral okay p- pummeling just fucking pulling little notes in the base of my spine that right. oh, fe- feels dangerous and exciting oh nice oh, okay love it but you could also go this is just noise you might enjoy the the mini album that sugar put out the following year after this which was called beaster beaster yeah it's like six tracks and it was six songs that were recorded for the sessions for copper blue but were deemed too dark and too angry to go on to Copper Blue. And <laughs> oh, well, yes, sir, you've piqued my interest. Yeah, well, quite exactly. Uh, and there's a lot of religious imagery in there as well, so it was kind of packaged as that sort of thing. It was released around Easter. But it, whenever you think of, okay, you've got songs like The Slim and Hoover Dam, you've got those songs on here, and then he's kept some other ones back for being too dark and angry, you, you've got to go, fucking hell, all right, mate. You've, uh, you've, you're plumbing some depths. Uh, but then he said as well, when in the recording of this, uh, he recorded about 30 songs. He just had this outpouring. Yeah. I think it was partly after being inspired to go down a slightly different route than he was going. Sure. He just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and had a big well to to kind of dip into. Which is, And I'm therefore surprised that they put out a 10-track album. You know, that is a lot of condensing going on. I've got to say, we haven't mentioned the length of this album. What mm. a treat to delve Isn't into it? a 45 minute album. Brilliant. Like yeah. 40, 45 minutes, 10 tracks, you know. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I, I can't say that's the way to do it because I love a lot of albums that aren't that, but, but it is every nice. now and again, it's like, oh. Well, <laughs> it's a palate for, cleanser. For the, for, yeah, for sure, mate, for sure. <laughs> anyway, so last three tracks, wonderful. Let's mm. go into track seven, which mm-hmm. is called If I Can't Change Your Mind. Mm hmm. And there's a, a jarring <laughs> juxtaposition. Very much brighter. Yeah. It is so weird coming out of the slim, which ends so, you know, dark and dramatic as well. And then you yeah. just... All right, let's turn the light on again. I tell you, I mean, you know what this reminds me of almost more than anything? Uh-huh. 
is uh, is uh, the mighty mighty Boston's <laughs> minor. <laughs> Like, the decision, like, like, uh, yeah, that that fucking song, whatever their song what, is. Was it the, the decision that I? No, the, the, no, the uh, impression that I get. The impression that I get. That's it. Yes. Ob- obviously, <laughs> obviously, strip out all of the horns. And R- stuff. Well, yeah. But it, ha- it has kind of got that that feel of it. It's got that feel of that, you know, like Green Day being mature and doing uh, time oh. of your life. Oh, I, okay. It's, well, it sounds a bit like Warning or something from them. But then I always yeah. thought that. Whenever they went down that road, it sounded like, you know, for example, if when when the Charlatans did uh, a jaunty song on their second album, that sort of thing, I think this sounds indie as all hell. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think this to me this sounds this sounds like pop punk to me. Oh, like, right. See, I, I don't get that. It's got that bounce to it. I know, I do, I know what you mean. And if I'm if I'm trying to find it, yes, it's in there. But there wasn't an inkling of that came to my mind on any of the listens through. How weird. Ah, fair enough, man. If you, yeah. you, I mean, certainly, you know, certainly, sick, you know, a lot of the indie at this time, though, is still in that post-punk kind of... Well, there's a lot of uh, shoegaze going on, but there's also all the baggy stuff. And this reminds me of the baggy stuff. This sounds like the Mock Turtles, Can You Dig It? You know? Yeah, I mean, it lacks Jangly, jangly. It, it lacks any of that kind of faux psychedelia that that stuff had, though. Oh, me. but this sounds like the jangly side of that, yeah, to me. Oh uh, yeah, I, I see what you, I see what you're saying, and I guess uh, it's points of reference. Yeah, true. Uh, but yeah, it's. I mean, and this was a single because this is an obvious radio-friendly song. This was the the third single in the UK, and this is the only one that got top four. This got to number thirty, so it's the highest charting single. It's significantly slighter than the previous three songs when um, you compare it to those of course it is yes it is and it's you know and that's not that's not a criticism a valid criticism for a song it, it doesn't it doesn't speak to me as much as this it seems like sure. a, a, a slight kind of indie pop song it pop, is indie yeah. pop indie pop punk song that's where I would put it, it well, this, um, this is the shiny happy people of this album yeah sure I think it stands out I think it's uh, an outlier um, it's very saccharine and unabrasive. There's a there's a couple of vocal affectations that kind of rub me slightly up the wrong way on that. Oh, are there? Okay, well. right. Uh, yeah, there's a couple of little twangs he does on the higher notes where it's their, their little affectations to yeah. get there, like eh, eh, and yeah, I don't, right. I, I, I don't love it. I don't hate it. I'm kind of it, for me that song is a lot closer to changes than it is to. To helpless or Hoover Dam or the Slim, definitely is that. Don't yes. mind it. It's a, you know, like I say, it's a palate cleanser. It's a and if your mindset on this record is, I better leave those tracks, these other tracks off because they're too dark for the album. Mm. I can oh, yeah. see why you might have the thought process. That's why this is, yeah. That, that this is something that you need to do. Uh, you know, you just had three pretty fucking dark songs. We better lighten the tone a little bit that's mm. not where my sensibility is I'm like yeah fuck it oh, it's, that's, that's not dark enough put some more black paint on it yeah, yeah man fucking t- turn a black light on this black wall <laughs> um, but the, the thing about this is it is sonically a lot more jaunty and a lot more upbeat lyrically it's still about the end of a relationship and it all going wrong and uh, so the guy saying well there's nothing. If I can't change your mind, there's nothing I can do. I wish you weren't gonna go. I wish yeah. you, this decision was different that you're making. But if I can't change your mind, then no one will. It, so it's yeah. still it's still a sad and downbeat song, but packaged in this very 
sing-along, chart-friendly way. And yeah, and it, it depends what your your sensibility is. Yeah. Um, but you know, I don't I don't dislike it. It doesn't ruin the record for me. No, it's, it's no, fine. fair. Uh, yeah, okay, I like that. So track eight is called Fortune Teller. Okay, so you can you can hear that fucking uh, hardcore influence here, can't you? Do you not think that this sounds a little bit like um, Bleed American by uh, Jimmy Eat World? Oh, okay, yes, yes, I do. I hear that. I hear that now. Or rather, Bleed American by Jimmy Eat World sounds like this. But you will, of course. This is a funky sound. This is a completely funky sound. The most hardcore of of these tracks, and it's. You know, I, I I could tell you another ten tracks that sound similar to I this. I see. Okay, that sure. I, that I very much love. I think this track in and of itself is missing. It, it's it's a hook short of a classic. Okay. Uh, it's an album track. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but again, I I can't help myself. It doesn't. It's not to the standard that they've set for themselves. You, right. You want more of the the middle bit that you were really into, and this is just not as good for you. As with a lot of album tracks, maybe this is a grower. Maybe if you've got that relationship with this record and you've listened to it for 20 years, yeah. this is the one that you go to and you're like, actually, do you know what? This is the one that people don't love, but this is my favourite. I see. You know? I, I must admit, I don't think this is amazing. I think this is an average song. I think it's perfectly okay, but I don't get much out of it. Sure. I mean, they've got they've got enough goodwill at this point mm-hmm. that I'm going to extend... You know, let them away, yeah. Yeah, like you know, like I'm well aware that some of my favourite albums that I've gone back to because of the big songs, like I don't think Kickstand was anyone's favourite track on, on Super, uh, Unknown. Super Unknown. Yeah, I mean yeah. it's not my favourite track on Super Unknown, but I fucking really love Kickstand now. Right after a few you go to. Do you know what I mean? Sure. So, so I don't, I don't know. Okay, it, it's fine. It's not as good as the middle section, but there's some stuff in there that you, I can hear how the influence of a song like this rings down other things right lyrically on this one I'm not sure entirely again what he's trying to say it might be because it's fortune teller I don't want a fortune teller it, it might be about the person he's with is constantly worrying about the future and not living enough in the past and not, and not being able to mm-hmm. relax and he doesn't want that perhaps that's you know my potential interpretation but uh, when I was looking at the lyrics and listening to them I did it's, in verse one there's, there's a clangor of a, a couple of lines. They do that. He does that thing where he rhymes the exact same words at the end of each line. It's like all of it gone. It's all so wrong. Nothing could ever be so wrong. He just he's, ra- he's rhymed so wrong with so wrong. And mate, that is just such. A, it stands out to me as just this clunk. And I, I I wondered why you'd let yourself get away with that. Well. Uh... I think you can do that as a device because all of it's gone. It's all so wrong. Nothing could ever be so wrong. That's you, you, you're yeah. you're doubling down on a point. I I yeah. I, I, I understand. I understand, I understand where I understand where you're coming from on it. I don't. I don't know. I, I think you've got poetic license to do that if you're not doing it all the time. I, I know what you mean. St- stuff like that sometimes really kind of sticks in in my throat what, what was the beastie boys uh... uh everybody rapping like it's a commercial acting like life is a big commercial and obviously yeah. we know now that that was a mistake made in recording and they just left yeah. it in that was mm-hmm. mike d forgetting the words uh, yeah. but it does it it jars with you you hear it and you go what uh, and the other one the other i was trying to think of the other famous times this has happened the other big one is um black sabbath generals gathered in their masses just like witches at black masses 
yeah. which is obviously two different types of mouse, and I get that, but it still sounds like you've just gone, uh, tell you what, let's just stick masters on again. Yeah, I, I know what you mean, but it's, you know, let's not slag off Black Sabbath, eh? Oh, shit, no, absolutely. No, I, I might every so often intimate that uh, they may have been on some drugs when they wrote some lyrics and have just let it slide. And that Ozzy must have been on some drugs when he married uh, <laughs> yeah. cele- cele- celebrity racist Sharon Osbourne. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> uh. Anyway. Um, All right, yeah, let's, let's move on to the next one, though. Okay, so the next one is track nine. This mm-hmm. is called Slick. Oh, this is dramatic. Oh, there's a bit strange noises going on. Kind of industrial factory noise, maybe? Yeah. I don't know, it's, it's almost like the start of one by Metallica. Oh, it is, yeah. I've got a feeling it's going to be quite a different song, though. <laughs> yes. Oh, come Let's see us downbeat. Mm. Again. Yeah. I got, again, I've kind of got Gary Newman in my notes. Yeah, I, I, sure. And again, because I've remembered it for this podcast, it reminds me of some of those Cure songs. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's a that very, mu- very, very much one of those. Yeah. yeah, drony, grindy. Mm-hmm. Interesting here, you've got some really nice harmonies taking place in the back end vocals. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not the first time that I've kind of got a little bit of a Beach Boys vibe Ooh, in some okay. of the writing. Yeah. Um, mm. So, but I mean, I mean, you can't you can't argue with the lyric. I hate your face. I hate the wall. <laughs> yeah. But what do you reckon this is about? Because on on the surface. It's about yeah. being in a car accident. Well, it's, it's him in a car. I think it's written from the perspective of him in a coma. Yeah. Remembering the accident. And, ah. And, yeah, because there's lyrics like, you know, I just wait here for you to feed me. Yeah. Like, so he's 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 in a coma. He's on he's, life support. Yeah, he's kind of vaguely aware of his scenario, but he can't communicate. I he wants see. to get out of there. That's oh, what, so that's it is like one. Right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, different landmine. Land Rover has taken my yeah. eyes because <laughs> it's like you know the road was slick and this is what's happened. But sure, this yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is uh, you know again very very dark, grindy, but uh, you know, but I really very much like this one. This is yes. straight back in my wheelhouse. Yeah, and the this bit is... towards the end of this song where it they kind of speed the tape up and slow it down every so every. Just a little bit to put you off kilter. And it's like, yeah. it just makes you feel a little bit vertigo. Always reminds me of that story you told me about your your dad going around the butthole surfer's house and them having yes. a uh, a record player rigged up to a wind vane. Yeah, yeah, on the roof that linked up to a little windmill. And so, if it was windy, it would play fast, and if it wasn't, it would not. And that's, that's how they listen to music. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, but it's, it's a very effective way, uh, effect that they put on it that makes you this almost this, maybe, it's, maybe it's dreamlike, but it, whenever you said coma, it's definitely that. It's just like ah, uh, there's there's a a reality difference. There's a space between the real world and you at this point. Do you think maybe they were influenced by uh, Axl Rose's take of, of coma? Who wasn't, mate? You know, it was so far-reaching. You fucking were, mate. That was you loved that song. Ah, that was a good tune. That was <laughs> that would make it onto the the one CD version of uh, of that album. I mean, that could be the whole one CD. It's that's about true. Twelve yeah, minutes true. long. Okay, cool. So, but you'd like that one. I think that's lovely. I think it's really good. And this was another one that 
I I didn't remember this at all, if I'm honest, from 1992. I don't remember this from... Yeah. Well, you know, obviously I've listened to it since as well, but this did not enter my mind. But for some reason, on these re-listens, this stood out. I thought this was all right. I think this is great. I think this is, you know, up there with that, that middle section. Brilliant. Right. Love this song. Excellent. All right, okay. Uh, and then last one then. A Man on the Moon. Um, yes. Could you believe that they put A Man on the Moon? Mate, would you not be gutted if you had a song on your album that was released in 1992 called Man on the Moon and yeah. you know that any conversation that anyone is having in that year about, oh, you know that song Man on the Moon? You know it's not your one. It's just uh, not yours. Yeah, And this was released yeah. a month before Automatic for the People mm-hmm. as well. Well, you know, they they had a month's worth of headway, so it's really their own fault. That's true. (laughs) So it starts off, that sounds like Monster Magnet. Oh, it does. Hmm. So I put, it sounds like Monster Magnet, and then it sounds like Weezer. Oh, nice. Okay, yep, yep. I did. I did oh, ask myself, cool. were, yeah. were Weezer, were Weezer sugar fans? Uh, I mean, I bet you Rivers was a fan of Bob Mould stuff in general. Yeah. I bet he was. Yeah. Hmm. And so this is like this is kind of power pop riffage, big, open, expansive. Yeah, yeah. And you know, Bob is fucking wilding out on the guitar, man. Some really nice stuff going on with the guitar here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not, not as, as moment, dark right. and harsh as the other ones, but it's not as twee as If I Can't Change Your Mind and that sort of thing. It's a nice. It's it's in the middle of, of what the, the two extremes have been. It's a mid-tempo, but it pars along. To me, this is a, a perfectly fine way to end an album. It's uh, not... I wrote that. It's I not that. anything uh, life-changing, and I don't think it's, it's... It's not one of the best album closures you, you'll ever hear, because sometimes you just you're left gasping for air at the end of an album. This isn't sure, that. But, but this has got some really lovely little rhythmic stuff happening in the vocals. And then all of these little stop-starting guitar bits with the slides. Very, very nice indeed. And right. again, I think, I think again, that kind of Beach Boys sensibility takes place in some of those harmonies mm-hmm. that are happening here. And then, you know, you kind of get towards the end. You've got this weird little fucking Wurlitzer ending mm-hmm. that, that takes place. You know, uh, again, I think I'm with you. I don't think this is I don't, I don't think this is a world-changing song, but it's a, it's a good album closer, I think. It's certainly a yeah. yeah. really, really solid album closer. I, I do not think it's bad. I don't think there's a bad song on this album. Um, right. It's ten tracks, very well chosen. I don't think any of them are not good. But yeah, this is a bit more of a nothing track to me. I would probably skip this if I was, you know, if I had to pare it down to seven songs out of the ten, I might lose this one. Now this this would make my top seven. Okay. I would say. All right. All right. So let's let's surmise this mm. record. Okay. Um, now going into this, is it a classic album? Mm-hmm. Obviously, for a lot of people, it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't hear that, but what I did hear was some fucking excellent stuff. Right. You know, for, you know, for me there were there are four outstanding tracks. Mm-hmm. So 40% excellent. Yep. And 0% terrible. Yeah, yeah. And that is if you think of all the shit that we've had to listen to for this podcast and you know, oh, yeah. some of it fair enough, you're never going to expect 
the Alita Adams album to be, even to give you 40% gems. But there have been ones that we've gone, oh, I thought this would be better, if I'm honest. Yeah. And so to come to come out of uh, an album going, 40% of that was absolutely brilliant, and none of it was bad. I think that's a really good final tally. And, yeah. and as well, what we'll caveat with this was saying is, you know, I've had maybe five listens through this album, and each time I've listened to it, the stuff that I've not liked to start with, I've liked more. It's grown so, a bit. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, you know, it, you know, to put myself in the position of, you know, me in 1992, where every album would go on rotation in the car and, you mm-hmm. know, get listened to over and over again, I can see how this album find its, finds its way into your ears. And if you add nostalgia into that as well, mm-hmm. I can understand how this is like someone's fucking favourite album. You know, I can, of course, I, I, yeah. can, I can get that. And it's I not bet you, mine. No, sure. But the people who were writing uh, in the Enemy and Select at that point, they were probably seeing this as the bridge between their love of Husker Du and yeah. uh, Nirvana, for example, which was, you know, ruling the roost around this time. This was the, the kind of the, the hidden gem that bridged the gap. And therefore they were like, this is genius because it's got th- this element and this element. On both sides. Whereas I am not coming from a Husker Du perspective at all. I'm going, this is not as good as Nirvana, but it's still very good. But for me, this is a very, very solid record. It's a record I'll, you know, it's not that Cure record where I was like, oh, hang on, this is a fucking right. classic that I've missed. All right, okay, give me your two favourite tracks off this. I want to see if they're the same as my two favourites. Because there's oh, two, two for me that easily stand out above everything else. Okay, for me, there there are four tracks that I find it difficult to pull between. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a, a punt on yours, and I'm gonna right. say I reckon yours are the helpless and the slim. Totally right, absolutely right. Yep. Yeah, and for me, the I'm probably there, but I really fucking love Hoover Dam as well. Right. Uh, help, helpless is dialed in, uh-huh. and Hoover Dam versus the Slim. Okay. I haven't solidified that in my mind yet. I, I like, but, but you know, no one's asking us to do this. Well, no, you? indeed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because this is a bonus. Uh, the, you know, none, of, none of this is going on to our ongoing playlist or anything like that. This is a bonus episode. It's totally standalone. So, yeah, thanks to Matt for putting this for forward. For this, record. yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really glad that we did spend some time with it. Yes. Certainly a lot more glad than some of the fucking shit we did. <laughs> yeah, indeed. I'm, I'm a lot making, happier it, that we did this uh, than, we, than Mr. Fucking Bungle. Oh fuck you, Mister Bungle's a better record than this. But um, yeah. but I, w- I will say it does make me think. Fucking, did we pick the right format for this podcast? But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed, uh, knowing full well that our first one of nineteen ninety three is Little Angels. Yes, I'm sure it's a brilliant record. I'm sure it's wonderful. Anyway, right, guys, thank you as always for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed this little wander through uh, mm, Copper indeed. Blue. We do hope to be back sooner rather than later. Schedules allowing uh with little angels as i've said before it's it's not krista's fault krista's fucking ready to record this shit whenever <laughs> it's it, it's me it's me and my new child and my dead dad um so you know fucking there's the album title yeah there you go mate <laughs> fucking life that's, that's your Fuck uh, your edinburgh show so, i mean that's the, that's, that's the thing you know that used to be the thing you know at least when your dad died at least you could get your edinburgh show out of it but it's it's, it's become too much of a fucking cliche now so Bastards. now i have to deal with fucking misery and fucking despair and there's not even a show in it without any uh that's just that's not fair dude not fair what i will say though is there are very very sh- few shows about 
your Northern Irish podcast host falling down the stairs in his pub. Oh. So uh, watch your fucking back, dickhead, is what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, God. Right. Anyway, look, mate, absolute pleasure as always. Yes, yes, yes. And, and we'll be back at some point. As soon as we possibly can. And, yeah, we'll catch you soon, guys. Thank you for joining us. Cheers, everyone. Bye. Thank you for checking out this episode of Pop Collaborate and Listen. It was produced and edited by us, for which we can only apologise. We're on Twitter, at PCL Podcast, on Instagram, also at PCL Podcast, and facebook.com slash PCL Podcast. All of these, plus links to our various Spotify playlists, etc., are on our website, which is pclpodcast.com. Please feel free to get in contact via any of the social media or on pclmusicpodcast at gmail.com.